0: Welcome, you're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, good morning. We're continuing on in our series, uh, we're calling Defiant Hope. Uh, we've been in a few, uh, for a few weeks. Um, and I was, I was preparing for this message uh, this morning, I was remembering a conversation I had with a, a man after... Sunday service a number of years ago, uh, finished preaching and he came up and said, asked me if I would pray for him. And uh, this guy was probably in his late 50s, early 60s, well-dressed. He looked like a man of some means, economically speaking, but emotionally, he looked like he was carrying a huge weight weight of the world on his shoulders his shoulders were hunched his eyes were distant and tired he struggled to put his thoughts together as we were talking and i asked him you know what in particular he wanted prayer for and what was on his mind and he answered well i've been dealing with a lot of depression lately he said and then he said i, I just just I just can't seem to consistently live with hope. I can't consistently live with hope. And to this day, that is the most relatable description that I've heard of what depression feels like. I just can't seem to consistently live with hope. And I've been thinking a lot about that conversation over the course of this series because as we've been talking about hope, there is this possibility that it might seem like this whole subject, this whole series, this hope thing is one of those, well, it's one of those kind of like icing on the cake sort of things. Like in the grand scheme of concerns in the world or even in our own lives that, you know, we as followers of Jesus should be focused on Fixing, you know, we might list stuff like, you know, climate change or marital conflict or job insecurity or food insecurity, violence in our schools, child neglect, abuse, racial injustice, housing and care for refugees, war, the humanitarian crises that follow it. I mean, there's like there's like a lot of things that we would think of as problems in the world that need our focus. Stuff that we should be engaged in. Stuff that we should spend our money and our lives trying to fix. It's a lot of stuff that we would list probably before we got around to the idea of spreading and fostering hope as something that our mission should be about. Like sometimes it might feel like hopelessness is like, well it's kind of like a first world problem. You know, uh, Something like, you know, the need to be fulfilled in your career or something like that. Whereas, you know, people out in the suffering parts of the world, they have bigger problems. you like, I was kind of picturing, you know, imagine we had, you know, some folks up here that were going to be missionaries. And, you know, one of them's like, well, I'm, I'm going to go out and address like human trafficking. And another one's going, well, you know, we're going to solve, you know, racial injustice and, uh, around the world. And another one says, well, I'm, I'm going to address hopelessness. Chances are that guy wouldn't get our support. (laughs) we are like, okay, well, that's, that's nice. You be blessed. And yet when you spend time with real people, not just their statistics, not just their census profile, but real people with real lives, what you find is that depression and anxiety, which are kind of the two main symptoms associated with hopelessness. They're wrecking havoc in their lives and the lives of their loved ones. All across age and economic spectrums, anxiety and depression are on the rise. As the pandemic has waned, depression and anxiety have risen to take its place. And I won't bore you with percentages and studies and surveys. I mean, there's tons of them, just Google them. Really, the real challenge for this morning is go out there and find somebody that says that depression and anxiety aren't on the rise in the last few years. But again, even without all the studies, if all we do is just think through the people that we know. Think through the people that you actually come into contact with on a regular basis. My guess is that pretty quickly you can come up with a list of people whose lives are being completely disassembled by hopelessness. And so as we get to kind of the middle point of the series here, we wanted to to take this week to remind one another that our talking about a defiant hope isn't just for the purpose of living with hope ourselves, isn't just for our own personal edification, but really our need to understand the spiritual power of hope and how it works within the kingdom of God is also so that we can help bring hope to the hopeless in the world, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplaces, even hope to the people that you are sitting next to right now. You see, hope is a core component of the message of the gospel. Wherever the good news of the kingdom of God takes root, one of the main results of it in the life of a person or of a community is hope. In fact, it is one of the reasons for the stories of the Bible. Paul writes in in Romans 15, verse 4, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The stories of scripture, the big God story, as we have come to know it around here, it teaches us what God is like, what his agenda is, what he is working on, how he works. And all that information put together has the power to bring hope to those who hear it, which is, of course, what had happened in the lives of the church in Colossi in the passage that Timothy read for us just a moment ago, where Paul said, Hey, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, the gospel had come to their lives and the byproduct of it was hope. Their their lives were characterized by faith and love, faith and love that were motivated by the hope that was held out in the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God. You you see, the, the true message of the gospel, to use Paul's words in verse five, it brings hope. It brings hope because it tells the story of what God is working towards. And so telling people what God is up to in the world and throughout history is really One of the most practical things that we can do to address really what is one of the biggest felt needs of the people that are actually in our lives. Of course, in order for us to be able to do that, we have to be clear on what it is that God is working towards. A couple weeks ago, Mike uh, started off the series by telling us that hoping God is really the only hope that will not fail because God will do what he has planned to do. God will finish the work that he started. God will fulfill his vision for his creation. He will do everything that he has promised to do so we can set our hope on that. Because it's going to happen. And it's a great. And it's a great source of encouragement to ourselves, to others, especially when we are going through difficult circumstances, right? To say, hey, you know, <clears throat> I know it's really hard right now, uh, but God is always at work bringing about his purposes, fulfilling his promises that he's made to humanity. Oh, yeah? Like what? Like, like, well, which of his purposes should I be holding on to right now for hope? And right here is where we kind of get ourselves in trouble, right? Because for a lot of people, well, they're not quite sure about God's agenda. They don't know what God is doing, what he's trying to build. They don't know what he's promised. And frankly... They're not entirely sure they're going to like it when he's done. Like, first of all, you, you know what a lot of people think is top on God's agenda in the world? Like, the one thing that he's like, this bleeping high priority in his life, one thing he's going to make sure is going to get done? A lot of people think that top on God's agenda is punishing people for what they've done. Like, God's really about judgment. That's what he's here for. That's what he's going to work for. And like a lot of people out in the world, and maybe even for some of us in this room, they think that, you know, God's main objective in humanity and in time is to send people to hell. And so to folks that that is their perspective with what God is doing, telling them that God is going to finish what he started, well, it actually sounds like more of a threat than comfort. Of course, there's also people on the completely other side of the spectrum. Uh, Their perspective of God is that he's into magic wand wish fulfillment, right? Like somehow they got the impression that what God has promised is to get you whatever you want right when you want it. Because really, I mean, what use would be a God that didn't do that, right? Right? And so to folks with that perspective, the comment, hey, God is going to fulfill your promises, his promises to you. What that's really saying to them is, ah, don't worry, everything's going to turn out just the way you want it to. Which is great if it does. But for most of us, we've been around long enough to have experienced the fact that things don't always turn out the way we want them to. And so placing our hope that they will actually turns out to be one of those false hopes that Manuel was talking to us a couple of weeks ago about. And enough of those false hopes piled up turn into cynicism. Of course, then there's also some people in the middle that are that are in fact confident that God has a good plan that he is working out for the world and for me as an individual, but they're not quite convinced of his methods. You know, like God wants to make the world a perfect place. God wants to make me a better man. But in order to get that done, he's got to do some bad things along the way to accomplish his good vision. You know, kind of like Thanos' plan to fix the universe was just kill off half of the living beings in the universe and that'll fix it. This subtle error is actually the one I believe is most prevalent among those of us who claim to believe in God. Because really on on the surface it kind of seems pretty noble it seems uh it makes kind of logical sense and it's couched subtly in the phrase that you hear a lot from folks from even folks at church even sometimes folks standing on a podium behind a pulpit that they say when people are going through difficult circumstances and that is this phrase well everything happens for a reason i mean It sounds like a noble way to tip your hat to God, to ascribe sovereignty to him and to his plan and to his ways. Seems like a noble way to trust him in difficult circumstances. But what we do when we ascribe the bad things or the difficult circumstances in our lives to the fact that, well, everything happens for a reason. So we actually are blaming God for all the difficult things that happen in our lives. It's like we're saying, yeah, yes, you you know, your parents got divorced, but you know, God did that to help you become stronger. So put your hope in him. I mean, if that's what we believe about God's promises, then him fulfilling his promises That's isn't going to give us hope. It's going to scare us to death. And these are just some of the perspectives that people may have about what God's agenda in the world may be, which make the fact that God will fulfill his promise not necessarily a comforting thought. So in order for us to be effective agents of hope to the people around us, it starts by us ourselves being clear about what God is doing about what he has promised and how he is going to bring it about. The true message of the gospel that God's number one priority on earth is shalom, peace, universal flourishing for all, not just for certain people, not just for the one percenters or even the 50 percenters or even the 75 percenters. He is working For the salvation of every person on the planet. His will. His desire. The thing that he works around the clock for. Is that all should be saved. None should be lost. That is what he's always at work doing. But not only is that his end game. He is powerful enough. And patient enough that he doesn't have to cheat. He doesn't have to take shortcuts to make it happen. And so his methods, what he does, can be just as good as his vision, as his goal. His means are just as good as his ends. Or to put it in a more proverbial way, God can make an omelet without having to break any eggs. And when someone is in difficult circumstances, it's not because God has ordained that they go through that, go through that suffering. When we're in difficult circumstances, it's because we live in a fallen world that is in rebellion to him. A world, by the way, that does not have universal flourishing as their number one agenda and whose methods always require that somebody get hurt along the way. But God is powerful enough and loving enough that even when we are caught in the destructive nature of this world, God, he can still fulfill his vision for our lives. Nothing can separate us from the good, eternal kind of life that God wants us to have, that God designed us for. And this is the good news that we can use to bring hope to anyone, whether they are stuck in the inconvenience of a traffic jam or mourning the loss of their child. We can tell them with all confidence that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, as Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us. If, and if God loves us, we can be confident that he is using all of his power to secure What is in our best interest? Some of you might remember the uh, band Jars of Clay. It was a popular Christian band in the late 90s, early 2000s. And on their album, uh, Who We Are Instead, which by the way is their best album. So if you go out and actually you can't buy, download it, whatever. You need to listen to this album. Anyway. In this album, Who We Are Instead, there's actually a surprisingly powerful song. It's surprising because it uh, doesn't have any of the normal, powerful orchestration or production of the other songs on the album. It doesn't have complicated, like deep, philosophical lyrics that make you go, hmm. It, it's actually a very simple song. Sung almost a cappella with just a simple guitar behind it. It just goes, Jesus' love never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' love never failed me yet. This one thing I know is that he loves me so. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This one thing I know. That he loves me so. And it just goes on and on and on. And I listened to that song and it just, it captures this hopeful message that these verses from Romans 8 tells us. And it just, it stunned me when I heard it on the album. And so I immediately went to do what you used to do. Back in the days when we had CDs and CD covers, kids, the music used to come on these round things. And they came in these really fragile packages. Why they never figured out how to make those things not to break, I don't know. But they'd have these uh, these covers with this art and the lyrics and stories and stuff. So I go in and I pull out the album. I look it up and I I read kind of the stuff on the song. And it turns out that this was a uh, cover tune or a tune that they uh, sang that had actually originally been put together by a guy named Gavin Breyers in 1971. And it wasn't even original to him. He had accidentally recorded some, uh, an unknown homeless man singing the words as just kind of a brief, kind of improvised little hum thing that this guy was doing. I read those words and that that made the song so much even more powerful. Because, like, it's one thing for a famous, successful musician to sit, you know, in the midst of their fame, surrounded by expensive recording equipment, pen in hand, carefully arranging arranging poetic lyrics to another hit song. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, A lot of great songs come from those sources. But to picture an an anonymous homeless man in the midst of his... Difficult circumstances. Singing, Jesus' love never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This one thing I know, that he loves me so. I mean, that does something. That does something doing it not because uh, he wanted to be recorded and be mentioned in sermons 45 years later you see we live in a world of words most of which are empty and meaningless most of which are used to manipulate and control us so even a message as powerful as the message of hope in the gospel is are words alone are often going to be rejected as mere sentiment, as mere rhetoric. So for our words to be, for our words to have meaning, they must be embodied. For us to be effective ambassadors of hope, we must embody that hope. And not just after the fact when the dust has settled and everything has turned out the way we wanted it to. But we must embody that hope in the midst of the difficulty. In the midst of things not going our way. We must embody hope in brokenness. I mean, sure, the the message is still true and accurate when everything turns out all right. But we just know that that's not how life is all the time. I mean, it is sometimes, right? But not all the time. Not for everyone. But when we can embody this hope, this confidence that good is coming, that Jesus' blood is not going to fail us, that God is busy at work bringing about his good vision of redemption for the world, and that we can count on it being that way someday, even if today we're not getting what we want. Well, then all of a sudden, our message is not just words. It's actually embodied and it's tangible to those who need to hear it. Paul puts it this way in Second Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. And this is the power that our words can have. When we are transparent with our difficulties, when we are transparent with the fact that we are, in fact, jars of clay, cracked and broken, when we live authentic lives in community where our struggles aren't hidden behind some cleaned up facade, lives that are in process and that are not just, you know, end products ready for market, it is then that our hope in God can be, in fact, a support, an encouragement, a source of hope for others. Summer of my 18th year, I was sitting on my bed watching TV when my mom came in and told me that she had a brain tumor. And I was completely blindsided by the news. You know, it's like, this is the kind of stuff that happens to other people, not to you. Uh, She was telling me, you know, the details about it and what the plan was and yada, yada. And kind of in the midst of her telling me, I just blurted out, this is crazy. This shouldn't be happening. And her instinctive response to me was, well, that's what faith is. And with those words, she actually calmed my heart. Even though she was the one that was in the middle of a very scary circumstances, I mean, it's not that she wasn't afraid, she was. And it's not that she was sure that everything was going to be all right, because she wasn't. It's not even that she got what she wanted because a month or so later she was dead. And yet her faith and love, which sprang from the hope that she had, was able to sustain me and give me and the rest of our family Through what was a very difficult time. Which in turn allowed us to encourage and help others who mourned her passing. And encourage them and help them have hope. Even those who didn't know God. My mom embodied hope in brokenness. But of course key to all of that wasn't just that she embodied hope. But she also spoke about it. She actually said the words. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse 14, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I know none of us want to be cheesy. None of us want to be trite. None of us want to be Sunday schoolish. We don't want to come off as being stronger than we are or more godly or spiritual than we are. But when we embody hope in the midst of our brokenness and then don't say anything about our hope being in God, well, what we end up communicating is that we're just that strong you know, this kind of stuff, we can get over it because, you know, that's just who we are. We actually end up taking credit for the hope that we have. And and we don't have to be perfect in this. It doesn't mean that we can't ever have a bad day when we lose hope because of our circumstances. On those days, well, that's why we have each other, right? You see, it's not just those people out there that struggle with hopelessness. It's going around in this room too. Sometimes in the midst of my circumstances, I lose hope. And I need your help to remind me that God is always at work employing his limitless power and inexhaustible resources to secure not only what is in my best interest, but in the best interest of those I love. And that I can expect good to come. I can hope because that is what God has promised. And nothing, nothing gets in the way of God doing what he's promised. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, once again, we recognize that uh, the promise of your work is not just for our benefit. And so we pray that even in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our circumstances, we can have eyes for one another. That we might be ambassadors of hope for those who may be hopeless increase our faith in your story increase our faith and confidence and trust in what you're doing that that faith might spread and result in hope among the hopeless Increase our faith in the power of Jesus' blood. And the fact that all of your promises are yes in him.